0: And happy Halloween, everyone. We are going to celebrate Halloween with Brian Adams, who's going to talk uh, with a true expert about what's scary in nature. Hello, Dan. Hey, Buzz. You missed me on Friday? I missed you so much on Friday. And listen, uh, in the second half, I'd like to begin by talking a little bit about what happened in Brazil Uh, for once. With who? Who's the expert? Lula. (laughs) We actually have something we can celebrate coming out of an election, so I want to talk to you about that. But first, I I really want to talk about what happened in the Supreme Court today. Um, Those justices, they heard about five hours of debate on the affirmative action policies of both Harvard and North Carolina uh, as a sort of precursor of whether they're going to find affirmative action to still be constitutional, or is it, in their words, unconstitutional so buckle up because here we go again once again the six conservative justices are going to do something that's incredibly scary to me and I think to any right-minded person they appear to be on the end of a uh, 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 poised to end uh, the practice of remedying four centuries of discrimination in admissions policies by employing affirmative action principles which we've been doing since 1978 To one extent or another the six who continue to put the engines of fairness and rationality um, in reverse here's what they say john roberts today he said that he can't see how we can implement a policy like affirmative action if we can't specifically say when it's going to end without saying when it's going to end it could go on for a really long time without adequate definition of what constitutes no more racism Sam Alito and Amy Coney Barrett both said the same. So, because you're always going to have to look at race, he said, you're always going to have to give some minorities an advantage over whites. Therefore, it's patently discriminatory, said John Roberts, with the other five nodding their heads. Brett Kavanaugh, he doesn't like it because you can't measure measure whether you're achieving the social goal of remedying discrimination. He said, so 10 years from now... We might just have to look at this all over again. That's his reason to say no to it. My favorite, of course, Clarence Thomas. Clarence, it's Halloween's and we're all wearing costumes, so you get the dunce cap of the day among all the worthy contestants on the right in the court. He asked the Solicitor General, and he asked each of the lawyers for both Harvard and North Carolina, what benefits can there possibly be academically from diversity in the courtroom? He then went on to argue that you don't need to be in a diverse classroom in order to become educated, said Clarence Thomas. Katanji Brown-Jackson, once again, she opened the session on first Monday with her incredible insights in the uh, Merrill case coming out of Alabama, challenging a redistricting fiasco down there. And uh, she once again shows just what a brilliant researcher she is. She shared her insights, and she said... So you're saying that an applicant can say that they sold Girl Scout cookies or they can write that they had skills on a trampoline or they could say that they're Catholic or they, they can say that they come from L.A. but they can't talk about their life experiences as an African American or as an, a Latina because that would not be race neutral. She explained once again the falsity of the assertion of originalism, which those six share, She once again talked to the fact that they are saying that the framers are race neutral when it's not true. And she brought out the 14th Amendment, Equal Protection Clause. And she showed what the Committee on Reconstruction said about why they're even implementing the 14th Amendment, why they were implementing an Equal Protection Clause, why they were creating it and writing it. Every note about why they were doing it was about race. It was race conscious. You can't say the framers are race neutral if they created an equal protection clause that was solely in order to remedy slavery and the inequities of slavery. Sonia Sotomayor, she chipped in and she just stuck with statistics. And she talked about schools in nine states that have effectively banned affirmative action and how those schools got whiter and whiter and blacks applied and didn't get in over and over again. So I just think the handwriting is in the wall. It's like Roe all over again. These six are going to take away goodness and fairness and equality and say that the Constitution doesn't allow it because the specific language wasn't there. Originalism is folly, and there's proof positive today. Meanwhile, onto something far more important. Today is Halloween, and who better to talk about that than our resident scientist, Brian Adams?
1: Well, it's hard to talk about anything scarier than the end of affirmative action, although we could, I suppose, go to all of those ongoing threats to democracy posed by the right wing. We could talk about the threat of nuclear war that's increased with the Ukrainian invasion. We could talk about climate change, all sorts of things, but... We're going to limit our discussion of scary things to scary things in nature. And who best to talk about that but our resident and now our official senior ecologist for the afternoon buzz, Tom Lotzenheiser. Tom is a senior conservation ecologist uh, at Mass Audubon for the central and west regions of our state. Tom was with with us uh, the end of March, I believe, to talk about the big night amphibian um, migration Um, into wetlands. And today we're going to talk about equally exciting stuff. Tom, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Brian and Buzz. And let's begin by talking about probably the quintessential Halloween critter, and that is bats. Um, I can't think of a Halloween without bats, right? Uh, And we have a lot of bats in New England. Can you talk about some of them and how scary are they? Oh my goodness. So
2: I don't know, the situation with bats in New England uh, is, is scary, but maybe not for the reasons you might think associated with Halloween. But uh, there are about nine species of bats that occur in Massachusetts, and of those, uh, five are on the endangered species list, um, where our most common bat uh, up until just recently was the little brown bat, uh, out in the night sky in the, in the summertime by the tens of thousands. And uh, within a few years of the introduction in the mid-2000s of of white-nose syndrome of fungal disease um, into the state, they're almost entirely gone now. The state says 99% or more oh my goodness. vanished. So now if you see a bat, it's not the common or what had been common little brown bat. Maybe it's a big brown bat which is not as susceptible wow. to white nose That's
1: syndrome. that is scary. That's so devastating. White nose syndrome, this fungal invasion. Not just bats in New England, right? It's throughout the country?
2: Uh it, it through the northeast and I'm not I'm not sure exactly where it's gotten beyond here. But uh yeah, it was found in a cave in, in New York, I believe, and then spread throughout uh, you know, any place where there's enough humidity, and it really focuses on um, bats that hibernate in the winter in caves. Wow! And uh, it's, you know, symptoms are truly horrifying. the The bats uh, essentially their soft tissues, their wings, their noses get a, a fungal kind of growth on them, and it it seems to drive the bats kind of crazy. They get batty. It, Batty, they get oh, oh. they oh. get itchy. Their me- metabolism speeds up. Oh, that and, is scary. And uh, and they start flying. They a- they're agitated, and ultimately they just you know really die of starvation and exhaustion. Oh my goodness! And, uh, just being you know driven crazy by this fungal infection. Oh,
1: so it sounds sounds terrible. Truly so nine, truly horrifying. Nine species of bats in Massachusetts. Vampire bats. Are not one of not, them. Not, not one. But of vampire bats really are a thing, right? There are blood-sucking bats that are out there.
2: Yes, some some bats are uh, hematophagous.
1: Hematophag science word of the day. Managed and what does it mean? It
2: means they eat blood. Wow. So there's about 1,300 species of bats worldwide. Uh, so are you know our flying mammal, and only about three of those species are actually Blood
1: suckers, vampire bats, and they
2: don't suck blood. You know, they're not like they don't suck like a mosquito or or a, a bug. They um, they lap they lap blood, and they
1: actually land. They they can walk. In fact, they can run on their wings. I was reading to a victim, and then uh, um, have this uh, uh, enzyme that allows them to. Uh, have the blood not coagulate that's and right. just lap it up, which is pretty cool. They lap it up. I was yeah. reading one of the three species of vampire bats is called the hairy-legged vampire bat. So that's, that's pretty scary. 1,300 species of bats makes them about a quarter of all mammal species are actually bats, bats in the world.
2: Bats are the most diverse
1: mammal group. Yeah, which is so, I guess, next to rodents, right? There might be a few more. Uh, Rodents. So that's interesting. Movie.
0: And I was the first Bat Boy for the Atlanta
1: Braves. How about that? (laughs) And that's scary. That's scary too. Let's move on to maybe the second scariest thing. Well, they're all sort of scary, Uh, and that is wolves. Um, Where are the wolves? We know there are werewolves, right? Because they come out at Halloween. Uh, I mean, that clearly is a fact that people can shape shift into wolves. Is that is that true, Tom?
2: I, I don't believe so. No. Oh my no. goodness! But you but see, I'm I'm a naturalist, and not a supernaturalist. Ah, so there you I, go. I don't, I'm not really mm-hmm. up on my werewolves.
1: Well, where did the wolves go? We used to have a lot of wolves in New England. What happened?
2: So wolves uh, were extirpated from Massachusetts um, by around 1840.
1: on, well, another science word of the day: extirpated. extirpated. That's right Re- regionally extinct. Regionally extinct.
2: Yes. Um, so, you know, land use change, uh, you know, with, with uh, European settlement and bounties on wolves, um, people protecting their livestock and so forth, uh, very quickly got rid of the large ma- mammalian predators.
1: Now, wolf was actually killed in 2007 in Shelburne. Uh, someone that was preying on sheep, a wolf that was preying on sheep. Is that right?
2: So there are have been wolves uh, you know whether they're coming down and through Canada, northern New England um, showing up in the state on occasion but rarely uh, and yeah, the, I think the last documented case was was that one killed in, the, uh, in Shelburne.
1: The whole issue of re, wolf reintroduction is really interesting. They're doing that in Michigan. They've done that in the Greater Yellowstone Park with great success, much to the chagrin sometimes of ranchers and folks like that. But it's certainly an interesting issue. We are talking on this Halloween uh, evening, Eve of Halloween with Tom Lotsenheiser. I'm going to put your last name there. He's a senior conservation ecologist for Massachusetts Audubon here in the Central and West uh, District. Halloween's origins date back to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, um, which marked the end of summer, uh, the beginning of the dark, cold winter that humans often associated with death. And uh, Celts believe that on this night before the New Year, Halloween night, uh, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred, and uh, that's when the ghosts of the dead returned to Earth, so hence Halloween. We'll be right back. With uh, Tom and more scary Halloween. Scary in the studio. Scary in the studio. Uh, Right after this.
3: This is the afternoon buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHFT. it's happening here in the valley we're talking about it
4: we have a very unique
5: and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns we need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns guns are used in order to you know elicit fear and power and control uh, by white
6: supremacists and it's not an issue that's going away easily 1015
3: 1400 and 1240 we are the valley we are whmp What happens in high school stays in high school? Not quite. In fact, quite the opposite. What happens in high school has a deep and lasting effect. High school is a time of discovery, of how you'll be in the world. At the Hartsburg School in Hadley, that means discovering more than the right answers to test questions. Hartsburg students take their science studies into the woods, for instance, or the garden, or goat barn. They study history through the lens of architecture, or art, or music. There's time to be young and curious and unhurried. High school isn't a race or a contest. It's a journey towards self-determination. Hartsbrook High School students learn they can handle adversity and cultivate an unwavering sense that they can take action in the world. Plus, they sing together. Schedule a visit anytime. Visiting day for current eighth graders is this Wednesday, November 2nd, from 8 a.m. until about noon.
6: Spend time with students and teachers and see what high school at Hartsbrook is really like. Hello, I'm Sheriff Patrick Kaolain, and I'm honored to be the Democratic nominee for Hampshire County Sheriff. I hope you will stay with me and vote Kaolane in the general election. Early voting starts on October 22nd, and Election Day is November 8th. And remember, a vote for me is a vote for a kind, compassionate, and progressive future for Corrections in Hampshire County. This ad was paid for by the committee to elect Patrick J.K.
5: Helene. An ensemble of women, BIPOC, FEM, dedicated to the transformative power of dance and social justice. The UMass Fine Arts Center presents the Ananya Dance Theater in Dostock. I wish you me, Dostock, I wish you me explores the cross-generational love that carries global communities through difficult migrations, reimagining the possibilities of freedom. Led by acclaimed dancer, choreographer, and educator, Ananya Chatterjee, the Ananya Dance Theater is a dynamic ensemble. The Chicago Tribune says, More than most contemporary Indian dance choreographers, Chatterjeeya has completely transformed her genre. Get tickets at the UMass Fine Arts Center website, the Ananya Dance Theater, Dasta, I Wish You Me, Thursday, November 3rd, 7.30 p.m., Bowker Auditorium at UMass.
3: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
1: And happy Halloween to everybody. We're celebrating Halloween this afternoon uh, by talking with Tom Lotzenheiser. He's a senior conservation ecologist at Massachusetts Audubon Society. And we're talking about Scary Halloween critters. (laughs) And what we don't want you to do is to be scared to go outside because outside is marvelous and naturalist and the least scary place you can possibly be um, as opposed to inside, stuck inside behind your computer. That's scary. Uh, Tom, we want to continue on this scary critter stuff out there, and let's talk a little bit about snakes because snakes can be scary to people, and we do have some poisonous snakes in Massachusetts, right? Who are they? And
2: we, we do have some poisonous snakes. We two two poisonous snakes. Well, let me just say, something that's poisonous, if you eat it, you'll get sick. Something that's venomous, if it bites you, uh, you'll get sick.
1: Ah, uh-huh. so they're injecting so, venom into right. you. As so it's a difference to...
2: between a poisonous animal and a venomous animal. So
1: we should call the snakes venomous, venomous. not poisonous. Yes, that's uh-huh. right.
2: So two two primary venomous snakes in Massachusetts are, of course, the timber rattlesnake and the northern copperhead. Um, and they are
1: both endangered? Is that Both endangered,
2: right? uh, both vanishingly rare in the state, and really copperhead's only known from the Boston area and right here in the Connecticut River Valley, and uh, timber rattlers from, again, Boston area, Connecticut River Valley, and Part of the Berkshires.
1: And the scariest thing with snakes is what we are doing to them, That's not right. what they are doing to us. Pretty
2: much, yeah. You know, these animals are both fairly widespread in the landscape, again, like wolves, uh, you know, in, in pre-European settlement days. Um, and we did our darndest to stamp them out. And even today, the largest threat to, uh, to these snakes is people.
1: As it's true with almost anything out there, it is human beings that represent that 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 scariness. Speaking of scary critters, continuing on with that conversation, poisonous spiders. Oh my! The goodness. black widow is out there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Venomous. Venomous. Spiders. Thank venomous. you. Thank you. Not poisonous. <laughs> venomous. Thank you, Buzz. Uh
2: yeah, well, uh, they're around. I've never I've never actually seen a black widow. Um. And I, but I understand that sometimes they show up in, in your like house plants around uh, garden centers, things like that. Wow. Where, uh.
0: Around here? Yeah. I didn't know.
2: Yeah. They can be around and they'll, and you can see black widows like in, uh, you know, basements and wood piles and things like that. So they're out and around, but they're again, not super common and not something that you'd Really tend to run into.
1: Here's something else you would tend not to run into, and that's a short-tailed shrew. But it is another, not poisonous, but venomous critter. In fact, one of the very few venomous mammals that are out there, right?
2: That's right. We have a handful of shrew species in the state, and one of them, the short-tailed shrew, uh, is is venomous. And they are. Sorry,
0: what is a shrew?
2: A shrew is a. Let's see, they're they're primarily eat insects and they are constantly running around. They have a high super high metabolism and they need to basically spend their entire lives eating.
1: Are they like a rodent? What are they? They look like a mouse or a vole, but they're sort of skinnier and shrimpier. They yeah. like got a little pointy kind of nose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: They're uh I'm trying think, to think of what order they're in. I think they're they are an insectivore. In own, I think yeah, they're an insectivore, in, so, not a, yeah.
1: not technically a rodent. That's right. Yeah.
2: Is it disparaging,
0: okay. dreadful word that sometimes is attributed to is criticized women? Is it come from that animal?
1: Is it their you shrew, you venomous? Like the taming of the shrew, or, or you strange. venomous critter, perhaps? Who knows? I, yeah,
2: I wouldn't know. No, but something.
1: but
2: yeah. They have to eat basically nonstop. And if they go for even a couple hours without a meal, they will die because their metabolism is just that.
1: So uh, we are running out of time. But if we looked at the most dangerous critter in terms of deaths to human beings, it would have to be mosquitoes. Oh, terrifying. Yeah. Mosquitoes. I read 725,000 people uh, die a year. Most of those from malaria, which thankfully we don't have, in Massachusetts, right? But we do have a couple of other diseases that are mosquito-borne.
2: Eastern equine encephalitis, West Nile virus affect humans. Yeah, those are both diseases that are, you know, generally found more in wildlife, um, but can can be found in people too.
1: And one of the issues with the drought this summer is I think there were less mosquitoes. It seemed at least I seem to be bitten less by mosquitoes, is that?
2: Yeah, anecdotally I would say uh, I encountered a lot less mosquitoes this year um, than I feel like I have in past years. Even black flies seemed low, relatively speaking.
1: Uh, There's a lack of water out there.
2: Lack of water at the key time of year.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've been talking with Tom Lotzenheiser. He's a senior conservation ecologist for Massachusetts Audubon. Tom, if folk, folks want to get out there in nature and enjoy wildlife, hopefully stay away from snakes and... If they're fearful bats, although bats are so wonderful and cool to see. Um, I mean, it would be wonderful. I'd love to be able to see in this area some venomous spiders and some venomous snakes and, and those bats. And know that we should not fear nature. We should celebrate its diversity and marvel at its complexity. You work out of Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary. Can you talk about... Uh, whether it's open, can people get there, how that works?
2: I do. Uh, Arcadia is open dawn to dusk every day, and uh, please come out and enjoy the trails. We here in New England live in one of the most benign places in the world. We don't have to worry about getting eaten by crocodiles or lions or run over by hippos or whatever, and and uh, we should enjoy it as much as, as we can.
1: As much as there's something cool to, to th- the thought of going out and getting... You know, run over by a hippo is actually cool. Is actually bats and spiders and shrews. Oh oh my! my. Rats and spiders. It's bats. We even talk about rats. So much more to talk about. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank Uh, you. And we will have you back because you are now the resident senior ecologist (laughs) slash naturalist for the afternoon buzz.
0: No, no, all seriousness. I learned so much. Thank you, Tom. Thank Thank you. you, Brian. And we're, we're going to be back with the Writer's Block segment with Megan Zinn and novelist Lisa Papadimitriou. Um, right after this, we're going to talk about the National Novel Writing Month, which is November. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. This is, in the, dead
3: this of the, night. is the Afternoon this Buzz is with Buzz Everybody Eisenberg, 1015 WHMT. It everybody's, everybody's good. Good. It's so
4: sharp and the eyes glowing red. I am the one hiding. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Police are investigating reports of gunfire along Route 5 in West Springfield this weekend. A witness reported the shots around 5.20 p.m. on Sunday on the northbound side of Route 5. Police say the witness thought the shots came from a passenger in a Jeep SUV aimed at a gray sedan traveling side-by-side in the opposite lane. A gunshot victim was brought into Bay State Medical Center, but no word on whether the incidents were connected as the victim was uncooperative. Holyoke Public Schools are now moving into Phase 2 of their rezoning plans. The school district is set to separate their elementary and middle schools to help students achieve their academic needs. Erin Linville, the school district's chief of strategy, spoke with Western Mass News. By moving to separate elementary and middle schools, our school principals and their teams will be able to focus on the developmental needs and academic needs of either
7: primary or early elementary and elementary students or middle school students, which obviously it's pretty difficult to be a leader in a school where you have four-year-olds and 14-year-olds.
4: While phase one focused on which schools would remain elementary schools, Linville said phase two will focus on redrawing the boundary lines for which schools students will attend. The next meeting to discuss the rezoning will be held tomorrow night. And the Powerball jackpot for tonight's drawing is now an estimated $1 billion, with the cash option being $497.3 million. This will be the second time in Powerball history that the jackpot has reached $1 billion and could be the fifth largest in U.S. lottery history.
8: For the rest of today, look for a mixture of sunshine and clouds. It'll be mild, high 60 to 64. Tonight, cloudy with showers late, overnight lows around 50. And the other for Tuesday, mostly cloudy with showers, highs in the low to mid 60s. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on
5: 1015 WHMP. <laughs> If you are on the Eversource Reduced Electricity Rate, whether you're on it now or you're eligible, you can tap into Co-op Power's solar arrays and lower your electric bill. A new energy justice initiative allows 120 low-income families to go solar, save money, and become owner members of Co-op Power. Join Co-op Power's 1,200 owner members building community-owned energy. For details, go to the Co-op Power website, Co-op cooppower.coop. Things to do with butternut. Roast it with butter and sage. Mash it with butter and maple syrup. Stuff it with quinoa, kale, and cranberries. And then there's curried butternut soup. Squash. The season is long, the recipes are endless, and River Valley Co-op is a fall festival of squash. Next time you're there, buy that squash you never buy. Kabocha squash or Blue Hubbard squash. Why? Why not? River Valley Co-op. Everyone is welcome, not just members. And everyone is wild about local squash.
3: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
0: And before we turn to one of my favorite times of the week, which is Writer's Block with Megan Zinn and her guest novelist Lisa Papadimitro, we first have to talk a little bit about Brazil with Dan Torres, our resident Brazilian <laughs> Dan. Um, let me, I think that the way to lead into this short conversation is... Yeah. We don't get good news too often in the electoral front, but we got some yesterday, didn't we?
8: Yeah. uh, Well, uh, so Lula won uh, the election that was very close, as the polls had essentially projected. And uh, what it shows is the country is is polarized very much like most other uh, democracies around the world. And you see a country extremely divided. Uh, even people who do not agree with Lula's more center-left politics voted for him because they despise the other guy more so. And I'm sure the other thing happened too. People voted for Bolsonaro because they don't like Lula um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Is Bolsonaro going to accept he said three
0: days ago he, he, he would accept the results, but is he, he going to accept the result?
8: He doesn't really have much of a choice. Many of his allies last night, as I was staying up, were releasing statements, mm-hmm. accepting the results and the wishes of the people. So while he has many allies elected in Congress, the right in Brazil and the center-right are very powerful they have all sent out a message. We have a new president and we will respect that wish, which leaves Bolsonaro with very little to, to, to go on, even if he wanted to cause trouble. He, what does he have? Maybe people out in the streets in protests, but the conservative elites uh, aren't into, uh, yes, let's overturn this to get you president. You lost by two million votes. 51-49.
0: So you mean we can say to the 31% of Americans that we should say this to, there is such a thing as a peaceful transition of power? Is that what we're saying in
8: Brazil? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's, I mean, he is not going to attend uh, the inauguration of Lula, that's for sure. And uh, he'll never congratulate him. That I've already picked up on the news this morning. Uh, He will allow a transition. Well, he hasn't said it, but he said it to one of his ministers and stuff like that. But there will be a transition and somebody will have to, you know, make sure the ceremony goes on and the transition will have to be done. And it probably won't be a great transition, but just, you know, kind of like how it was with Trump and Biden. I, I, you know, nobody really talks about this anymore, but how was the transition there? It's not usually that great. It's it's usually when people can work together and accept the results and be like, "Hey, let's collaborate," because you must continue on governing. That's that's a trouble, and these are troubling times right now, right? COVID and everything else, the economy. Yeah. So.
0: Well, if I was a nine-year-old and I was writing about a president, I would love to call the president Lula, <laughs> but I'm not a writer. But there are writers around, aren't there? Are, there are. There are,
9: and um, the the good, you know, segue that that. The, that election could be excellent material for somebody to weave a novel around during um, the upcoming months, with, which is an important month for writers. Um, and so we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. We're going to talk about writing and teaching writing and a mysterious thing called NaNoWriMo. Um, and my guest is Lisa Peppa Dimitriou. Hi Lisa. Hello. Um, so glad you're here today. Um, Lisa Peppedimetrio is the author of over 20 novels, a former editor at HarperCollins and Disney Press, and has taught creative writing at every age level from third grade to graduate school. Uh, she's also the founder of Bookflow, an online tool that helps writers organize their stories and stay motivated to write them. Um, And so we're talking about all things writing, and we are going to start with, say, we're talking today about writing and teaching writing because November is NaNoWriMo, which is short for National Novel Writing Month. And Lisa, tell us a little bit about what that is.
7: So National Novel Writing Month is the month, it's held every year, the month of November, and People who participated in the NanoRimo Challenge mm-hmm. are expected to write 1,667 words a day. And ultimately, by the end of the month, they'll have something close to uh, a full-length novel. Yeah, 50,000 50, yeah, words? Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
9: Um, and there's it's an organization and they have a website and they have incentives and and support for each other sure, and that nanowrimo. Kind
7: of thing. Yeah. Org is the um is the name of the organization that is uh, behind uh, national novel writing month and Um, It's headed up by a guy named Grant Faulkner, who's incredibly passionate about encouraging people to uh, express their creative selves. And so there are, if you if you manage to you can it's free to enter, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. And you can sign up on their website, and uh, you know if you enter your word count daily, and you manage to complete the challenge, there are all kinds of incentives and rewards, um, you know, discounts uh, for all kinds of like online products for writers. and and things of that nature, but it's, you know, it's mostly the benefit of National Novel Writing Month is that most writers, one of the things that I hear writers say that they need more than anything else is a cup of coffee and a kick in the pants. Yeah, yeah, and it's the kick in the pants. So this is that kick in the pants. Um, Basically about 400,000 people every year sign up to do the challenge. And uh, and it's a really active, um, you know, hashtag on Twitter, and you know, people on social media are talking about doing it, mm-hmm. and you know, if you're in the challenge you feel that energy and and it really can be very inspiring.
9: Especially because writing is such a solitary activity to have that support. And there's been a couple of, I mean, there's been a lot of best-selling novels that have come out of that. People who started their novel and did the first draft during NaNoWriMo included Water for Elephants by Sarah Gruen, The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern, The Wedding Date by Jasmine Gilroy, and and a lot of others. Yeah, Uh, I think Cinder as well. Yes, that's right. That's Mm -hmm. one of them. Um, So, um, you are in the, pr- you, be, in addition to being a writer, you spend a lot of time helping other writers um, yeah. hone their craft um, and get writing and and hone it. Um, so, And you are in the process of publishing a book on writing. Tell us about that.
7: Um, well, uh, the book that I'm uh, writing on writing is called mm-hmm. Secrets of the Plot Goddess. And it's, oh, I love that. Oh, thank you. Um, and it's really about the ancient uh, Greek beliefs about fate And how those play into the way that we see writing these days. But um, there's a million different ways to engage writers and to help people with their craft because the craft is so Mm -hmm. all-encompassing. It's about self-reflection. It's about playfulness. It's about um, having an idea and being willing to engage with it. So there's that level of just encouraging people to look around and to describe what they see, to describe what they feel. Um, but then there's also uh, the sort of deeper complexities about how to construct a plot. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you make something happen? It's not just about making any old um, activity happen. Uh, you know, it has to have meaning behind it. It has to have purpose. Um, so, you know, really it's, it's kind of like teaching something like meditation Mm -hmm. or psychology. There's no one's ever really fully the master, right? Everybody has different levels of being both the master and the student at all times.
9: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you are also you've you've developed something called Bookflow, which is yeah. um, a, a tool for writers. Tell us a little bit about Bookflow.
7: Sure. So, Bookflow is designed to kind of engage people where they are. Um, mm-hmm. So it has, uh, it's broken out so that if you're writing a project, um, you can very easily outline it. Um, there's, and there's checklists on, is this scene going to be active? Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And so each little piece of your outline is also attached to that chapter in your manuscript. So if you reflect, Reflow your outline. Your whole manuscript will be reflowed. Oh, that's very cool. It's yeah. It's it's a, it's that's that's really useful. But there's also um, a daily writing prompt. Mm-hmm. So yep. you know, and that is always something different. Sometimes it's a piece of audio, music, or um, uh, an image, or you know, uh, something about like a. Uh, right from the perspective of a cloud, you know, or <laughs> just something playful to yeah, kind yeah. of get people to warm up and there's there's micro lessons on it as well. Yeah. So, and that's um that's just been you know, really, really fun to work on because it has forced me to think through the process of right. uh, what are the different places where people begin their stories? Mm-hmm. And where
0: people do or where you do?
7: Well, I usually begin my stories with characters, but I know other people who begin with plot ideas or thematic material. And so I wanted to create a tool. That would you'd be able to capture any piece of that idea and be able to retrieve it? Um, and uh, because again, writing is the interaction of like it's people always say, like, oh, I had an idea for a novel. It's like a novel is not one idea, a novel is about a thousand ideas, yes, you know, that you have to be able to like to track and and remember as you as you go along,
9: yeah. Um, my guest is Lisa Papadimitriou, and we're talking about writing and teaching writing. What what do you usually do you usually start with when you? What are you looking for when you're starting to craft a plot?
7: Well, you gotta have you gotta have an interesting character. Mm-hmm. You gotta have a sense of the ending, like where is ah, this going to okay. end up. You don't have to know exactly what okay. it is, but you gotta know a little bit. But often, sometimes I'll just have an idea for like a person in a situation, mm-hmm. you know, a person with a problem. Mm-hmm that's like the thing writes itself no I'm just kidding yeah, it writes itself I wish yeah
9: um, what was your your most recent what's your most recent book of fiction
7: so okay so I write a lot of uh, books for um, y- younger readers yes so I have a new series out with Scholastic um, and two books came out this year um, and the series is called Hearts and Crafts um, and, and what yeah. was
9: the core what was that start that you the character that... and and something? that happens to them.
7: Right. Okay. So the the it's based really I grew up with a single mom. Um, and so it's it's a girl and her single mom. And in this particular story, she's like shenanigans ensued because <laughs> she's she's A takes on way too many projects in her life. But and one of the projects she's got is that she wants to get her mom a boyfriend. And like, you know
9: that's, just a, that's rife, right right <laughs> for a lot of um, a lot of shenanigans. Yes. Um, my guest is Lisa Papadimitriou, and I think we'll be taking a break you got a lot of now. Talk novel more ideas. Oh, oh geez. Sorry. Yeah, Over gosh. here working on puns, aren't you? I yeah. can't help it. <laughs>
0: We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with, with Megan and Lisa right after these messages. This is really fascinating. Stay with us.
3: This is the Afternoon buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, buzz 1015 WHMP What is
1: the latest on the Trump Organization's fraud trial and the legal travails of Donald Trump? Join us for a special edition of Crime and Punishment. We'll be discussing how do you find 12 fair and impartial people for a jury. That discussion with former U.S. attorney for
3: Western
6: Massachusetts, John Pucci, who will be our guest Tuesday at 9 o'clock.
7: Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information
4: and the Arts. At Greenfield Savings Bank, one of the things we love about living in the Valley is all the locally grown food that's available here. For more than 25 years, a local nonprofit called CESA, which stands for Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture, has been promoting locally grown food and supporting farms, farmers markets, and food businesses in our Valley. And to support CESA's mission, Greenfield Savings Bank is giving new customers a CESA canvas tote bag as a thank you gift when they open a new free GSB checking account. There are no monthly fees, no transaction fees, and you get free online banking, free e-statements, free debit card, and free GSB mobile app, including depositing checks from your mobile device. Our existing customers can also get a CISA Canvas tote bag when they enroll in GSB's free mobile banking or sign up for e-statements. So, join GSB and show your support for locally grown food and local banking.
3: Get your CISA Canvas tote bag thank you gift from Greenfield Savings Bank. See bank or visit greenfieldsavings.com for full details. Member FDIC, member DIF.
6: Hello, I'm Sheriff Patrick Kaolain, and I'm honored to be the Democratic nominee for Hampshire County Sheriff. I hope you will stay with me and vote Kaolain in the general election. Early voting starts on October 22nd, and election day is November 8th. And remember, a vote for me is a vote for a kind, compassionate, and progressive future for corrections in Hampshire County. This ad was paid for by the committee to elect Patrick J. K. Helene. It happens all over Massachusetts.
4: Can you tie my
5: shoes?
3: In every home and every community.
5: Be careful in your bike. Learning can
3: happen anytime, anywhere. Hi guys and no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, DESE is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. Find out more at mass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary
6: and Secondary Education. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the afternoon buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, your message at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at WHMP.com.
3: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
0: And this is National Novel Writing Month, and what better way to spend that and, uh, with the Writer's Block segment? With, I can't speak. Writer's Block segment with Megan Zinn and novelist Lisa Papadimitriou. Whew. <laughs>
9: Lisa, um, how did you get started as a writer? Something I think um, budding writers might want to know.
7: Um, (laughs) I started backward. (laughs) Um, So I started actually as an editor Mm -hmm. instead of as a writer. And uh, I, you know, just kind of after a while, I realized that the people who were writing these books, I had always been told... You know, you can't make any money as a writer. Mm-hmm. I would tell people I was an English major, and they would say, well, "What do you think you're going to be a writer like that? Just like that?" <laughs> and um, so I'd be like, yeah. "Oh no, no! I'm going to be a I'm going to be a teacher or an editor or something." So uh, so I did become an editor, and I I loved that job. You're just basically getting paid to read books and tell people like the parts you don't like. You know, so that could be better. That I mean, that was a dream job for me. So, but. Um, but uh, I got a job um, at a place that was called Daniel Weiss Associates at the time and later became what's known as Alloy. And uh, we handled a lot of series books, mm-hmm. um, the most famous of which at the time was called Sweet Valley oh, High. Oh, Sweet Valley High. Yes. And so uh, my job was to, as editor on, on some of these projects, and we were turning around a book a month in some of these series. So I was handling multiple series. And a big part of my job was that I had to come up with the plots and uh, sometimes write the outlines. And if the book came in from the writer, and I was usually dealing with a stable of writers, mm-hmm. it came in in bad shape. I had to book doctor it, I had to rewrite it myself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like, I'd have like four days of, you know, just rewriting wow. something entirely. So uh, at a certain point, I was like, maybe it would be faster if I wrote these myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so I did. Uh, I came in as a ghostwriter originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and from then on, um, it was a really good sort of laboratory to mm-hmm. learn how right. to... Boot camp. Um, yeah, it's boot camp. <sighs> it's pacing, it's dialogue, it's how to make a really active scene. I mean, the thing is that when you're writing a mass market series, you know, your biggest fear is that someone will put down the book and turn on the TV. Right. Right. And so you, uh, you know, that was really who we were competing with. So it has, it had to be active. It had to be emotional. And um, so it was really, really a good, a good boot camp for learning all of that. And eventually I just started getting ideas for my own books. Mm, Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah.
9: Thanks. Um, what, so what is your go-to advice to, to writers starting out, but also to, um, I know that's fairly general, but to writers starting out and also to experienced writers?
7: Well, I mean, you cannot beat the advice to just read as much as possible. Ah, that's good. I, but I also feel like the biggest impediment for beginning writers, and sometimes for experienced writers too, is fear. And fear of judgment, Mm -hmm. you know, fear of writing something that people won't approve of or that won't be your best work. I know a lot of beginning writers who are just really afraid. I think that people will tell them that they're not a good writer. Right. And the important thing is that you have to separate separate the writing from the writer. Mm -hmm. So, right, Hmm. like, Mm -hmm. look, if you write a lot of stuff, you're going to write some stuff that's bad. And you know you you have to get through that in order to get to the stuff that's yeah, good. You can, you can always edit a
9: page. You got to write the f- the crappy first draft.
7: Yeah, or you know the crappy chapter or mm-hmm. the crappy page or you know the crappy sentence. Um, and don't be afraid. You know when I had to write my when I actually got a contract to write my first book that was going to be all my mm-hmm. idea, my own. I I panicked and. Uh, my friend said, Lisa, you know, what are you afraid of? You're you're an editor. You rewrite bad books all the time. Just, just write a bad book. A book. And then rewrite it. Yeah, exactly. What's hard? <laughs> edit your own book. Yeah.
9: You know, this, this like is re,
0: we're talking with Lisa Papadimitriou. We, I, we had on a screenwriter, Jacob Foreman, who mm-hmm. teaches at the American Film Institute. Mm-hmm. He teaches screenwriting. Mm-hmm. And we were talking to him about it. And he said the hardest thing that he finds for students is uh, he, he said you have to write to the truth. That is, you could write fiction. But you have to know how you would respond. Yeah. And sometimes filtering, we all have problems knowing ourselves Mm -hmm. and getting down to how I really feel about fill-in-the-blank. And so how do you get beyond that when you're writing, like, what is the truth of how I would be if I were in this situation?
7: Well, the thing, the really interesting thing about that is, of course, like, I always go back to that Whitman quote: you know, I'm large, I contain multitudes, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So the way that I would respond to any given situation is so dependent on the dynamics of the situation. Like, for example, I'm incredibly conflict averse unless the conflict involves anything involving my daughter, in which case <laughs> I am spoiling for a fight. And so, you know, uh, getting down to the truth... Really has to do with I think embracing those multitudes and some parts of ourselves that are maybe not our favorite, and I think that that's also where that fear comes in, where people like are afraid. That's hard work when you're writing. Isn't oh it? my God, oh, yeah. that is that is that is the hardest work of of writing. Really, that's what Jacob said. Yeah, I think I think it really is. It's it's an emotional job.
0: But he said, and you're a teacher of writing as well, so yeah. you probably know this. He said that. Uh, that that is the greatest benefit that students who really take it seriously get. They mm-hmm. they learn how to sort of filter out the stuff that's not really them.
9: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Um, what is, what um, what do you love about writing? What aspect of writing bring or aspects bring you the most joy? It's easy to talk about what what's hard about writing. What sure. what brings you joy in it?
7: Um, what brings me joy is. Um, Honestly, the rhythm of the words on the page. Mm, so fun. Uh, often like I, I almost feel I know people say that they f- sometimes feel like they are inhabiting a character or inhabiting, um, you know, a situation. But I very often feel like I'm inhabiting a, a certain rhythm, especially when I'm writing dialogue. Interesting. And yeah, and I can I kind of feel it in my in my body and I can hear it in my ear um, so I almost always start with dialogue and then I'll write the rest of the scene around it.
9: Very interesting. Do you do poetry? Yeah. yeah I was about to yeah. say, do you, do you I, I know you've written some poetry. Well, that's um, funny because that yeah. actually
7: was my background. And, uh, when I was in, uh, when I was doing my bachelor's degree, poetry was my, my focus and my thesis was on William Blake and so, and creative, you know, Oh, cool! Creative yeah. writing of poetry was also a yeah. thing. So, oh, yeah. um, so it's interesting that you would say that. Yeah,
9: yeah. That well, that makes sense. Um, so, what are you reading right now?
7: Oh my goodness! Well, um, that's a really good question. I, I'm in, I'm on a, a kick of reading mysteries, yeah. Great. and because I had an idea for a mystery, oh, and that okay. Doing your homework. M- yes. So, and that I've never written a mystery before. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've been reading. I've I've re- I spent the past like month and a half reading 70 Agatha Christie oh, novels. Mm-hmm. But um I uh, you know and I'm starting to branch out into some other mystery writers as well. Um but it's it's been a really fun project and to see how they're put together. Yeah, And to see the sleight of hand that goes into that. Yeah, and
9: actually, when uh, my freshman writing class in college, the first thing we did was we walked in and the instructor gave us all copies of And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. And and she didn't tell us why. She just said, read it. And then when she came back, she was like, this is an example of something that's pretty much all plot. But it yes. was to start by looking at how, how the plot was structured. It's, it was something that is just pure plot. Uh, it was a really great lesson. Um, to look at something like that,
7: yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody's reading, uh, you know. Um, uh, well, I mean, mystery is—it's a little—it's a—it's a puzzle, right? And right. things have to move forward, and that one really moves fast. Yeah, that's actually—I well, just read that two weeks ago. Um, and honestly, I think it's the best one that she's done. That's, yeah,
9: yeah. Well, my guest today is Lisa Papadimitriou. and we've been talking about writing. And this month, uh, November is Nano Um November that's not what it's called, <laughs> National Novel, national novel, writing, novel writing, month. writing Month. So if you're out there and you've been thinking about writing a novel, go to their website and start. This is the best time to do
7: it. Yeah. And
0: once I, once we have Lisa's mystery, we'll know it's history. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Did you catch the rhythm of that? <laughs> it's very good. Everybody have a great Halloween. Have a safe Halloween uh, and, and enjoy this special night. And uh, join us again tomorrow um, tomorrow we are going to have the sheriff of Hampshire County who is on the ballot. And we have Jackie Walsh talking about the Valley Light Opera Singers um, performance at the Academy of Music.
3: See you tomorrow. This is the Afternoon Fuzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHFT. change
9: her mind.
3: The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo, Tara Brewster. Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2. Only on WHMP.
6: Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West.
3: The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster. WHMP. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.